it is a strange time, right? We're back together, seniors graduating without a regular commencement, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're wondering, I think most of you know Pastor Larry is on sabbatical, and so he uh, is not here, although he was here first service, and honestly, I thought maybe he had his mask on, and then his head was down, and I thought, he's really trying to hide in the group. Well, I talked to him afterwards, and he's like, no, he hurt his neck about three days ago, and so, so he had his head down because his neck was hurting. So then I thought, okay, I guess he isn't trying to hide. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 127, so if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and grab that. Um, uh, this summer, this is what's going to be sort of happening this summer. I'm actually only preaching three times this summer. Um, Dan's doing most of the heavy lifting. He's going to be preaching most. He's going to be doing a, a series on the Beatitudes, um, eight-week series on the Beatitudes. So he'll be preaching eight times. I'll be preaching three, and then uh, Bill Arvin is also going to preach a couple different times. And, and I'm excited to hear what the Lord has to speak through the different group this summer. Um, I've really felt led by the Lord, um, and it, it comes out of the fact that if you, if you remember at the very first of the year, we, uh, as, a, as the elders, really felt like the Lord wanted us to uplift the family this year, uh, continue to pray for revival, but really to emphasize the, the, the family and the biblical role of the family and what God has for it. And so I really actually thought of Psalm 127 with that because the second half of it really talks about the family. But the amazing thing is, as I, as I started digging into it more and more, and as this pandemic happened and all that stuff, it's like, wow, this is speaking to a whole lot more than the family right now. So we're going to look at Psalm 127. It may be fairly familiar to many of you, but um, I think God has some good stuff for us today. So Psalm 127, it's a psalm of David, a song of ascents. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay alert in vain. In vain you go up early and stay, or you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the ones he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, children a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Such men will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city's gates. Wow, this is popping a lot right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's distracting to me. I can't imagine it's not distracting to others. Test one, two. I wiggle too much, so that's way better. I, I move all the time. Uh, so even when I'm talking, I told him at the beginning, I said, you got to make sure you got that screen out a ways because if the picture is only of here, you're going to just see my shoulders going up and down when I'm talking, and people are going to be distracted. So, But it's, let's go back to Psalm 127 now. Um, you know, it's interesting. So to start out with, I just want a couple of those little headers at the beginning. This is a song of ascents. In these ascent songs, there were, there were seven or, or 15 of them. Psalm 120 through 134 were all songs of ascent. And what that is about is they were the psalms that the Jewish people would recite as they're pilgriming 
to Jerusalem. And specifically, they would use it on the stairs as they're walking up. And with each uh, step, they'd take a step, and then they'd recite one of these 15 psalms or sing it out. And the really cool thing is a couple of years ago, I got to be there. I got to be on those steps we, with the group that went from Harvest. We were there, and we, we worshiped on those steps. We sang on those steps. But in the, the imagery was one of this. As you step higher on each step and you do this, you think higher. You turn your, your gaze from the horizon to the vertical, from the horizontal to the vertical. And so the challenge was really in these to remind us to focus upward, to not be looking at our circumstances, but to be looking at the king of kings. And that's really what this whole message is about. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain, right? This idea that we need to be focused there. So this psalm of, of ascent was, with it, and it was written by or written for Solomon. It's interesting that word of there could mean either way in the Hebrew. So it was either written by Solomon or it was written for Solomon by David. And if you know David's story right in 2 Samuel, he wanted to build the temple for the Lord, and the Lord said, no. You know, wait, we'll have your son build that. You've, you've had too much war on your hands, right? And so David actually planned everything out and had it all laid out. So it's possible David wrote this for his son as a reminder, even in the building of this temple, remember where you keep your eyes. And a reminder of as, as the city grows, where you keep your eyes. And that's very possible, that the Lord needs to be at the center of it, not your plans. Um, it also very well could be Solomon. Solomon uh, wrote many psalms. This is a, a wisdom psalm as well, which Solomon wrote much of wisdom. And actually, some of the wordage, the whole, those who labor, labor in vain, very uh, like Ecclesiastes, very sounds much like Ecclesiastes. So one of the two of them wrote it, and really, either way around it, it was a reminder to the people about what really matters, about where we have our eyes, where we're focused, so that's sort of the background of it. Um, I, I have three different points. The first one, which truly is the main point, and the other two should be sub-points underneath it. But just full disclosure, PowerPoint is not my strength. I didn't know how to do that. So you got what you got. So <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not the PowerPoint guy. So verse 1 is really the question, are we God-dependent or independent? Are we God-reliant, be another way of putting, or self-reliant? To me, that's the thing before us. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay alert in vain. This idea that who's doing it, you know, and it's not that they're doing bad things. It's who's in control. Who's doing the thing. There's several things I see in this first step, and the first one is really I think often missed, in, to be honest, and I've preached this passage before in the past. I never caught this before until now. Look at it bigger. What this says is this. God is a God who wants to be involved in our lives. Right? This Christianity thing is about relationship, not a religion. It's not a do's and don'ts list of, okay, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. As long as you do those things, then go walk this way, and then you're doing good. He's saying, no, no, no. This is about relationship. I have a plan. I want you to follow my plan, and in this relationship is where things move right. If you're only walking out 
all the do's and don'ts and doing it your own way, we're missing the point. And that's one thing that's really different about Christianity than any other religion. It's really about a relationship, not about rules. It's not about the rights and wrong. It's about a God who longs to lead his people. It's about a God who cares about us, who made us in a way that he longs to show us. And as we follow him, we see what happens. The second part of it, which comes out clearly in the process, is this. He directs and he leads. He's not a mute God. He's not a mute God. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, right? But he also speaks to us in prayer as we're still and as we listen. He speaks to us in community, guys, often. I tell you what, as the elders of this church, we pray together to hear God together. And it's amazing as we do it how God will clarify. Nine times out of ten, that the, the thing we're hearing from the Lord does not come from one person in the group. It comes in the midst of the group as we pray and seek together, and God reveals different parts of us as we share in that. So God speaks to us in community. God speaks to us in so many different ways. For me, often music, worship can be a way God, God will speak to me. Do we believe that, that God speaks to us? John 10, if you want to turn there, John 10, chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I want to say that one more time. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Do you know his voice? Do you recognize his voice? I think we all need to get better at recognizing his voice. And you know how we get better at recognizing his voice? Listen. And you start to hear it. The more time we spend with him, the easier it is to hear and know his voice. Right? I always think of the example. If someone calls me on the phone that I talk to often, I'll I'll know who it is without them ever even saying. But if someone I don't know or barely know talks to me on the phone, uh, I'm like, "Uh, who is this? Right? Because I don't know them well. The more we're in a relationship, the better we hear. The other thing that I find really interesting, we have neighbors who have sheep. And they do follow the voice. When Jay or Marcy go call their sheep, they come running in. If Jim comes over and calls their sheep, they don't listen to me unless I shake a bunch of food. And then they might come running because, you know, they're motivated by that. But we're a lot like sheep, guys. We need to listen to the shepherd's voice and know he does speak to us. I think if we understand that to begin with, that number one, this is not a rules and thing. It's about a relationship that God's drawing us to himself and pointing us in the way we should go and that he does direct us in those things. That's the beginning of the whole thing. Then we start looking at, he, he, he gives his examples. He talks about the house, unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain. Then he talks about the city, unless the Lord watches over the city, So there's two different areas he's challenging with. In the house, you know, when I first thought of that, I thought, well, you know, instantly I'm just thinking of a house, a building, unless the Lord builds a house. I was thinking, well, he's talking about the temple maybe, you know, but it's interesting he says a house, not the house. But it's interesting when you look at the Hebrew for that word house, 
It means a whole lot more than a dwelling or a building. Uh, you example of it, they talk about, Bible talks about the house of David. Are they talking about a building? No, they're talking about his kingdom. They're talking about his descendants. They're talking about his children. They're talking about all that is him in a sense. So when it talks about building a house, to me, this is talking about us personally. Our, who's, who are we letting dictate sort of our, not only our building, but maybe our estate, our dwelling, our family, our career, our retirement, our assets, our stuff that we want to buy and, you know, who's the one building our house? You know, the truth is, a lot of us even do good stuff, right? We're saying, I want to serve the Lord, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And then we say, God, will you bless what I'm going to do? <laughs> what he says here is, that's in vain. That's in vain. Instead, we should be saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want to build this house? How do you want to build this house? Then he goes on, he talks about the city. So the city, obviously, is the community, but I think about it as, as well, it's a society. It's who we are. Um, to me, it's interesting. As I was looking at both of these, and you know, like I said, I was looking at the, the children's side of it, but right now, aren't we in a place where a lot of us think about our, um, our assets and our retirement and, right, what's happened to the stock market in the last three and a half months, right? It was at an all-time high, and then it drops to a, you know, to a, it loses a third. How many jobs were lost or unemployment? How many businesses have gone under? You know, we go sometimes, we think we're in control, and we're building our, our kingdom, and we're going to build it for God, and we're doing great, and all of a sudden, stuff like this happens, and it all falls out. And then if you're like me, I may be walking in that going, yep, we're doing good, God. We're doing great for you. Yes, I'll let you know if I need you, you know. And then it all falls apart and we go, God, help me. When all along we should be saying, God, show me what you have. Show me. And you know what? And then when it falls apart, I go, you know what you're doing, Lord. You know. I can trust you. Right? That's, that's the process. When it comes to our society, guys. You see what's happened even in the last couple months. You see the political unrest. You see the tragedy of, of that we see of racism and of violence and of, of, of anger and hurt and all that. And, and Jesus is the great reconciler. He is the hope that we need to bring healing that needs to come. Are we trying to fix that in our own wise ways? Are we saying, God, what do you have? How do we be your people in this to bring reconciliation? We're called to be reconcilers for Christ. I love what that, I heard the, read about the church that went down last week and went to uh, 38th in Chicago and led worship there. And they worshiped and they shared the the hope of Christ, and people came to come to know the Lord. There was healing. There was reconciliation in small ways. But those are things we're called to do. Are we people who bring in reconciliation in the process? Because that's what we're called to do. Are we asking God, God, how do you want me to respond? Or are we trying to, I know the answer. I'll, I'll solve it this way in our own strength. Unless the Lord watches over the city. Those who watch over labor in vain. I can't help but think of um, 
of uh, this diagram. I don't know if many of you recognize this. This is actually from the four spiritual laws that Crew uses, Campus Crusade for Christ. Although I think their newest ones don't have it quite like this. But when I came to the Lord, which I came to the Lord at St. Cloud State, proof God does miracles, by the way. I came to the Lord at St. Cloud State. Um, when I came to the Lord, I came to the Lord because of crew, because of uh, going to a Bible study that I learned grace. I knew Jesus, but I didn't know grace. But this diagram talks about, see, a lot of times I think, you know, we look at this and we say, yeah, but we as Christians, the two images, so the one on your right is where we are still on the throne. God is in our world, in our sphere, but we've allowed, we want to be on the throne. We want to control everything, and we want him just to help make things work. In the, they call that being the carnal Christian, living by the flesh rather than by the spirit. And the idea is, you know what, when we do that, we're in chaos. Often we're trying to juggle everything and help, ask God to help us straighten it out. But the one on the left is where Christ is on the throne. And that's what this is really talking about. It's Christ on the throne when it comes to all those things in your life, and we're at his feet. And you know what happens? He then orders what's going on. And I'm gonna tell you, he knows what he's doing. It doesn't mean you may agree with him at times. It may still feel like chaos to you, but God knows what he's doing. So who's in control? Who's in control of your life? To me, that is the question. Um, I love what Henry Blackaby, uh, we want to go back one slide if you can, please. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, I don't know if you guys have read that. It's actually, it's from the 90s, late 90s. But um, he talked about it this way. He said, instead of coming up with great ideas to advance the gospel and then asking God to, to bless those ideas that you have, see where God is at move where he's working, and join him in those things. And watch how he moves in the process. That's what we're called to do. And it's really interesting because those words, when he says unless uh, the, we labor in vain or we stay alert in vain, that word in vain, that word is really a powerful word. You know, we sort of, oh yeah, I've heard it. But what it means, and its essence, the Hebrew is, it, it's not only is it worthless and empty, but it actually can even mean wicked. Think about that for a minute. So when we're doing stuff our way, even to try to please God, but we're not listening to him, it's not only worthless and empty, but at times it can be against what God wants to do. That's what wickedness is, guys. It's God is trying to do this, and we're actually thwarting his plans by trying to do something for him that he doesn't want us to do. Instead, we're called to listen, to seek his face, and to do what he leads and directs, to join in him in what he's doing. I think about uh, Matthew 6, 33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. This idea that when we put him first and we seek him first, the other stuff will be figured out. And part of it is in the fact that we don't have to be in control. That's the next, the next point. Are we going to rest or are we going to wrestle? If you look at verse two, it says in vain. Again, there's that same word, right? In vain, this thing that's worthless, empty, could be even wicked. In vain, you get up early and stay up late working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the ones he loves. 
See, the reality is this. I don't know about you, but when I try to control my life, I actually love the way the ESV says it. They call it toil. It brings toil in my life, right? I'm trying to juggle all those plates, and I can't, but I'm trying to do it for the Lord, and it becomes this chaos that I'm never getting caught up on. I don't know if any of you ever feel that way about life. When I'm trying to be in control, that tends to be the reality. But you know what? When we allow God to take control, I know he's got the plates. I don't have to balance every plate. I just got to do the one that's in front of me at the moment and trust him with the other plates and knowing that he's in control. This idea, are we going to rest in the Lord or are we going to wrestle and try to struggle? It's interesting. If you want to turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 9, Hebrews 4, got to find it here. Um, this whole chapter, this, well, the first half of this chapter is really about the idea of rest, about a Sabbath's rest, um, and about how we are still called to this Sabbath's rest, but the Sabbath's rest is a little different. Um, looks different than what the Old Testament had, right? Uh, where it was this one solid day, always, that had to be. Instead, there's this rest in the middle of all of life. Um, verses 9 and 10. Therefore... A Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own work. This idea, and if you read on and on with that, but there's this idea that rest, that we enter into a rest because of him that is not based upon our circumstances, but really it's talking about a peace that comes in knowing he's in control. You think about what's been going on with the pandemic, um, with, with the things going on. When I look at the circumstances on my own, when I, to put it to the sense, when I'm looking uh, horizontally out there at the world, I can become pretty uptight about, oh no, all this stuff and maybe frustrated or all that stuff. But when I put my eyes on him vertically and know he's in control, I, I have a peace knowing he's in control. That's where this rest comes from. This rest is in the midst of work. This rest is in the midst of things going on because we know who is in control. So we don't have to toil. We don't have to try to juggle the plates. For me, the challenge has become, because I'm sort of a list guy. I like to write my list, and then I like to you know, check off my list for the day. And if I do something that's not on my list, I'll usually write at the bottom of my list and then check it off so I feel accomplished. I don't know about you guys if you do that at all. Um, <laughs> but the, the challenge of learning to surrender each day to the Lord. At the beginning of the day, say, Lord, today's yours. I have, I have my list, but God, whatever you want to throw on the list, go ahead and throw it on. And you know what? I might have to remind myself that at 10 o'clock in the morning and at noon and at 2 and at 6 and at 8 and at 9, you know, whatever it may take. But you just say, God, today's yours and you're in control and you know what's best anyway. I think this might be best, but you know better than me, so I'll do what you call me to do. And I'm going to work on this list and when you change me and say, nope, I need you to do this, then I'm going to do this. And in that, there's great rest. So the challenge to surrender each day to the Lord. And then the final section, which is, again, why I sort of chose this to begin with, but so much more out of it is this uh, three through five. 
And I, I entitled that Blessing or Burden. And when we look at this, and when I used to read this, used to sort of think, well, this is a new train of thought. First part, he's talking about this, and now he's talking about kids. But again, as I begin to study it and realize when he's talking about the house, he's talking about the house of David. He's talking about the family is a part of this. So as we read that again, unless the Lord builds the house, it's labor's labor in vain. He's talking about our family in that. And so he's coming back and he's reemphasizing. He wants to magnify this a little bit and, and says, you know, uh, sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord. Children are reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born into one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Such a man will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies in the city gates. A blessing or a burden. You know, I, I, think, I, think as, I think about David or Solomon writing this. He's helping to remind them the importance of family. You know, God's plan put family as the heart of society. It is the centerpiece of God's creation. Everything else is built upon that. Even the church is built upon family, right? That was God's design. That's the way God made it. David wanted to remind him, when you're building your house, don't forget this is a big, really important part of it, the family. And the truth is, guys, look at our, our society today. The family is under attack. The family, unfortunately, in many ways is crumbling. It is, we culturally need help. And, it, and that, I believe, brings a lot of the symptoms of the other things going on in our societies because of the breakdown of the family. Um, you know, the reality is this right now. Do you guys know that the birth rate is as low as it's ever been in the United States? You know why? Because so many view children as a burden now. I have all these other things I want to do. I don't want to have kids. That'll slow me down. Um, I, and, and this is not like brand new. This is not just a millennium, millennial issue. You know, we want to blame everything on millennials. But the truth is, it's, it's been going on forever. I remember in the early 90s, I had a friend who I uh, would, would meet. We, actually, one day I remember we were at the health club working out, and it was this gal, and she came in. She's all excited. She says, yes, today my son turns 13. I'm like, oh, awesome, congratulations. What are you going to do with him? No, no, no. The reason I'm so excited, now I have a 13 and a 14 years. They're teenagers. They can take care of themselves now so I can do the things I want to do. That was her, and this was like 1992, so this is... Uh, you know, a lot of years ago, but that was her view. These were a burden. She wanted to have her two kids, right, her boy and her girl, and put them on her mantle so she looked like the family, but she didn't, that wasn't her priority. And it seems to me like in today's culture, we either view family, kids as a burden, or else we jump to the completely other side, guys, and we become a child-centered, we become very much a child-centered society where family's all about your kids. And your kids have everything, you get everything, and, and, and I think we're reaping the, the rewards of that in a lot of ways with a lot of the entitlement stuff we have going on because we've had generations that keep telling our kids, you're the most important thing in the world. You're the most important thing in the world. The truth is, God, we need to be, guys, we need to be in a God-centered society. We need our kids to see that he's the most important thing. But they are greatly loved, and they are greatly loved by us, and they're greatly loved by him. 
children are truly a blessing from the Lord. Um, you know, I know that can be hard for some people to hear, to read this passage, and I know I've had people even share this with me, because they want to have kids. And for whatever reason, aren't, aren't able to, aren't in a position where they can. And they read this, in their, and it hurts. And I understand that. I understand that because, um, you know, when Karen and I, our oldest daughter is Tirza, and after Tirza, there's five years between her and our middle daughter, Faith. And in that time, we went through four and a half years of infertility, um, where we were trying to have another baby and couldn't, and went to the doctors and did all kinds of tests and did all kinds of, and, and basically the doctors at the end said, I don't think you're going to be able to have any more kids. And that was really, really hard for us to hear. And we were actually, we were really ready to adopt. We'd started some of the processing, and we felt really clearly the Lord said, wait, be patient. Um, and I, I remember um, Tirza, who, when she was about three probably, started asking us, when am I going to have another baby? Because, you know, all these other friends of ours were having more babies. When are we going to have another baby? When are we going to have another baby? I want a baby sister or baby uh, brother or whatever. And we didn't know what to say to her. You know, what do you say? And finally... And she was four years old, and finally we're like, you know, we just got to be tell her at this point. And so I, re I just I remember this so clearly, guys, sitting down with her and say, you know, this little four-year-old saying, we don't know if we're ever going to be able to have another baby, um, you know, but we can pray to the Lord. And that night, she prayed, and I remember her prayer very clearly. She said this, dear Jesus, give me two babies. One to, one to uh, grow really, really quick, but what she said was really, really quick because she couldn't say her cues, right? One to grow really, really pick, and the other one to stay little. And the next month, I mean, it was less than a month after that, we found out we were pregnant. And the first thing I went is, oh, no, we're going to have twins. <laughs> but it's amazing to me how God was so faithful in answering her prayers. She has a brother and a sister, you know, God is so faithful in those things. And I know that isn't the story for everybody. And I know there's some people out there going, I'd love, why didn't God answer my prayer? And my, my only response to this, and this is one of the challenges for us, because honestly, I wanted six kids. Now, my wife didn't want six kids. Um, I actually probably wanted five kids, and she wanted four kids. And the reality is, of, even with the other pregnancies, they were complicated and stuff. So we had three kids, and I remember sort of being sad about that. And then the Lord reminded me, about Paul and Timothy and how Paul called Timothy his son in the Lord, right? Yeah, and the fact that, guys, we have the opportunity to be spiritual parents to so many in our world, and so if you're unable to have kids on your own, there are a ton of kids, and not only do we have them in this family right here, and I can tell you as, as the guy who works as a youth pastor, I love it more people pour into these students. We need that. It's always been my philosophy in, in ours here at Harvest that we want to be intergenerational. We want people pouring into one another and spurring one another on. But the truth is, guys, we also live in a society where there are so many hurting kids who don't have parents, who don't have a dad or don't have a mom, who need people to love them and show them the hope of Christ. So whether we have them biologically, whether we, have, we adopt, whether we 
uh, um, our spiritual parents, we have the opportunity to, to impact the next generation. And I love the fact that he, he, these two analogies he uses as he talks about it. First one's a battle analogy. As an uh, arrow in the hands of an archer, of a warrior, he says, right? And I love that analogy that we're the ones shooting our children to advance the kingdom. You guys know that Christianity is always only one generation away from being extinct because God doesn't have grandkids, right? He has, he has children. And so we're always advancing the next generation. So we're called to point them, to shoot them. And my own question really truly is this. What are you aiming at as parents? What are you aiming at? Because I think sometimes we get confused on what to aim at. It, it, what's your greatest goal for your kids? Too many times I hear things, oh, that they'll be happy, that they'll find a great spouse, that they'll be successful, that, that life will be good for them. And those aren't bad things necessarily, but they can be. Instead, we should be aiming that they will love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they'll love their neighbor as themselves. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Read the scripture that to love Jesus doesn't mean you're always going to be uh, happy and healthy and successful. There will be sorrow. There will be persecution. There will be suffering. But there also will be great joy, and there will be great purpose in life. So parents, spiritual, you know what, whatever, we have kids, we need parents, right? Point them towards the Lord, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, the second analogy is that of uh, such men will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies in the gates. And it's interesting. So the first one's a battle cry, right? We're going to advance the kingdom, with this, the second one is really, if you understand what the, what the gates of the city were for, to contend with the enemies at the gate. The gates of the cities were where the law took place, where the rule of law. You remember the story of Boaz and Ruth, right? Do you remember where he had to go to to be able to become her uh, kinsman redeemer? To the gates. Because that's where the legal contending went on, Right? This, this preparing for understanding. We need to train our kids in truth so they, they can contend in our society. We need to train them in the truth of this because we have a world that has so many mixed up ideas, harmful, hurting people ideas. It, it grieves me, it really does, that so many are hurting because of the, the ideas of our world that they adopt, that lead to hurt and pain instead of the truth of God. So we're called to train them in truth as well. We're called to point them towards Christ and to train them in truth. Proverbs 22, 6, train up. And this is not a promise. This is a, a um, uh, principle. Thank you. I blanked out for a minute. It's a principle of God's word. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Most parents, when we read this, we read it, train up a child in the way I want them to go, <laughs> right? That can be the truth, right? We, we have our ideas. Instead, it says train them up in the way they should go, the way God has created them to be. 
right? God has made all of us unique. So our job is to help them see that God has made them that way and point them towards Christ and allow them to become who Christ has made them to be. That's what we're called to do. That is the challenge before us, to keep our eyes there and not here, to seek God's way, not our way. When we're chasing our way, even when it's for good stuff, it's in vain, Scripture says. You know, as I close on this, we'll see if it works. Yep. Um, I wanted to close a little different today. It just, you know, we talk about as, as the elders, one of the things we really, really wanted in the process of this is, and to be honest, sometimes you hear from people, oh, I just can't wait till things can go back to the way they were. You know, can we can meet again and be back the way they were. I don't believe God wants us to go back to the way they were. I think God wants us to move forward. I believe that this time and this season, the things going on, God has things for us to do. God wants to move. Are we willing to step out and move and do those things to bring hope, to bring his kingdom to a world that desperately needs it? Um. The Second Chronicles verse has just been running through my head with this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will come down and heal their land. You know, the interesting thing is, again, we often think if those people out there would just change, we'd see change. If my people who are called by my name, my question is this. And we're going to spend a, just a few minutes um, in reflection. I want you guys to reflect on it, pray, ask the Lord about this. Where, in, where have you been trying to run this race in your own power? Maybe trying to do good stuff, but you're doing it, you know, on your own power. When it comes to your house, you know, your household, your, when it comes to our community, our society, our world, when it comes to your family specifically. Ask the Lord, Lord, show me where I am trying to control it instead of surrendering it to you. Then ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me to do? What is it that you're calling me to? I think it's time for us to, to examine and confess and say, Lord, show me where I am not chasing after you. Show me where I want my way, not your way. Show me what I'm trying to do in my own to, to please you. If we begin to do that and walk out what he's called to, I believe God will use us greatly to advance the kingdom. So we're going to just take a few minutes. Aaron, why don't you come on up and play a little background music. And then at the end of the time, Aaron and, and the worship team are going to uh, lead us in a, uh, in a song. And then we'll wrap up.